you, please take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans 6. See, you thought you were going to John 21 again, but we're going to Romans 6. So if you would go to Romans 6 this morning, we're going to kind of jump into this passage and then lead to several other passages in our discussion on grace. We're still advancing our understanding of this concept of biblical grace um, with one final study today, grace in a broken world. Grace, here we are in Romans 6. We've been talking about this grace. If we could just review in our minds, kind of engage where we're at. A lot of minutes have passed since we were last here last Sunday. So if we could briefly remind ourselves a little bit of this grace. This grace, two primary words, undeserved and unearned. When you go to the scriptures, you find that this grace is saturated in the word gift. In no way did we deserve this gift. It's undeserved, it's unearned, it is favor, new life, and enablement. This is favor with God, this is new life in Christ, and this is enablement through the Holy Spirit. This is grace. Simply, grace is God's given desire and enablement to accomplish God's given plan. God is empowering us to do what he's called us to do. That's what grace is. In our minds, we tag grace a lot of times simply to this concept of salvation where we know by grace we're saved because clearly scripture says that. We are saved by God's grace. We're brought into relationship with God by this grace. However, as you go through the New Testament, and this is the theme of this whole study, this grace is so far beyond just bringing us into relationship with God. It is to carry us all the way through in our relationship with God. And that's where we're at even in the passage today. But grace, an undeserved and unearned gift, favor, new life, and enablement. And then two months ago, in Ephesians 2, we saw this. God's amazing grace must be received by faith and enjoyed through faithfulness. I'm not going to go back and reteach that. Let's go to the next key theme that we've looked at with sustaining grace. So we've talked about his saving grace, his amazing grace. Now his sustaining grace as seen in John 21 through the life of what apostle have we been looking at? All of them, right? What apostle do we see in John 21? Peter, right? Peter. The life of this amazing man, Peter. This guy who thought he could get her done. This one that God brought to the end of himself, realizing how much he needed God's grace. God's sustaining grace both supersedes failures and empowers faithfulness. I'm, you're going to see very quickly through these themes that there's a theme of faithfulness. Grace compels us to faithfulness. Then last week we looked at this. God's empowering grace should motivate all true believers to do what? To serve. Thinking back through this study, what we talked about last week, my heart was just overwhelmed with how much the body of Christ does here. All through the week, people serving God at Cross Point. And I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, thank you. We are serving Jesus by serving Jesus' people. You are serving Jesus by serving Jesus' people and Jesus' body, the body of Christ. So thank you. But in brief review, what we talked about is this. When we talk about the way of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, there's a massive perspective change in our lives. What is this perspective change? 
It goes from all about me, which Peter was working through. It's all about me. Peter kept turning the discussion back to himself to now all about God and his amazing glory. Gospel life and ministry are not all about me. This is what we saw last week and the preceding weeks. It's not all about my personal fears, my personal failures in ministry. It's not all about my resolve to get her done. It's not all about my personal ideas of how to get her done. It's all, not all about my personal temptations to compare myself with other people who are getting her done. It's not all about me. What grace compels us to realize that, that it's not about me. It's about God and his glorious grace, his glory and majesty. So what we've been doing is just peeling off different layers of this grace so we can see clearly what God has gifted us with in this grace. And we're going to continue that study to today's study by looking in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. We're going to look at this study with this key idea. Through the realities of this broken world, God's grace keeps us going. That's the theme for the day. Let's pack up and let's leave. Actually, no, let's unpack this a little farther. Through the realities of this broken world, God's grace keeps us going. In other words, through the realities of the messed up place we live in, God's grace provides the necessary support for us to, here's a word, to persevere in Christ. You know what grace does? Grace gives us the enablement to wake up in the morning, to get out of bed, and by God's grace, take another step, not just physically, but we're talking spiritually, to grow in Christ. In this messed up world, this broken world we live in, God's grace guides us and guards us, empowers us to persevere. So, here's the question. Do we live in a broken world? All you have to do is turn on the news for two seconds and realize the broken world we live in. I was thinking this week, um, even through all these expressions of God's beauty, it's what we call general grace, God's beauty around us. God is long-suffering to us in that we taste of his general grace daily. The beauty of the sunrise, the beauty of the sunset, the beauty of the mountains around us, the beauty of the seasons, yes, even the beauty of the tornadoes and hail, all right, that we experienced some this week, maybe the tornadoes, but at least the hail, the beauty of the, the rain, the beauty of the seasons, that's all God's general grace, but God is gracious to us, long-suffering to us, as the book of Acts says, to give us expressions of grace, but in that Around us is a massively broken world. I mean, even this week, you, know, you just pick up the newspaper or pick up, just go to the internet. Here's a couple of headlines from this, this week. CBS, I mean, this is within the last couple of days. Missing four-year-old girl was likely killed. I mean, that's all over the place. This missing girl killed. Man accused of beating fiance to death pleads not guilty. If that doesn't yell out something to you, to us, someone who's supposed to love this woman as a fiance about to marry her now beats her to death, now lies about it. If that doesn't say broken, I don't know what does. That's in CNN reported that this week. Here's another one. What we don't talk about when we talk about porn. 
NPR put that one out this week. Here's one put out by the Wall Street Journal this week. Playing catch-up in the game of life. Millennials approach middle age in crisis. <laughs> this is thrown right out there. So they're like, whoa, hold on. Not just a little bit of brokenness. We've got a mass generation of brokenness. That's coming from the Wall Street Journal saying, uh-oh, we got a problem here. That's this week. I mean, and it's not just nationally. It's not just internationally. What about locally? I think Patrick uh, posted something this week about this horrendous story um, from KRCR News. Alturas man sentenced to 103 years in prison for intercourse with child under 10. Are you kidding me? This is the broken world we live in. That's local. Here's another local one. Body found in NorCal River, and it belongs to the suspect in a woman's decapitation case. So there's a guy who decapitated a woman who couldn't live with himself, so now he takes his life. So we have homicide leading to suicide. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world with disregard for the miraculous case of life, the miracle of life. We're talking about the killing of baby humans. This is the world we live in. A world with gross abuse of young little boys and girls. A world of mass shootings and terrorism. A world of cheating and unfaithfulness. And you know what? We'll just turn the other way while you do that. A world of deceit and lying and stealing. A world full of sexually transmitted diseases and full of obsessions with substances. A world full of, as John says, three primary things. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's our broken world that we live in. Every day we interact with that. This is the sin and the rebellion that the Bible says is right in man's eyes. But the end is the way of death. You know what the scripture says? Find this in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews says that this sin is enticing. It's pleasurable for the season. So even though we live in a broken world, there's an enticement. James talks of this. He says the terminology used in James, talking about our flesh and the one who tempts us. Uh, here's what it's like. It's like throwing out a, a lure into the water and just kind of bringing it in. I love fishing. Either with a fly or a spinner or something of the sort. And you just kind of lure them. You can watch them coming in. You jig it a little bit and you watch them coming in. Boom. Sin in our broken world is like that. Uh, it's, it's like setting a trap and some, putting something enticing to that, to bring that animal in. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the sad thing is that doesn't just stop on the outside of the doors of the church, does it? The sins and rebellion of the broken world oftentimes makes its way into the body of Christ. The real life sad fact is, tracing all the way back to the first couple chapters of our Bibles, is this destructive pleasure, this enticement, enticement from Satan, enticement to get worshipers of God to embrace the pleasures of this world. The self-consumed pleasures of this world are weaseling their way are right in plain sight into the body of Christ through lying and fighting and stealing and 
sexual abuse and what's known as narcissistic hedonism. In other words, it's all about you making its way into the body of Christ. So here's the question. It's not really a question if we live in a broken world. That's like a no-brainer now. But here's the question. How do you and I live in this world? How do we exist? How, how do we... I'm going to set this aside. I think it's making some noise. How, how do we function? How do you get up on a morning living in the world that we just mentioned, this broken world? How do we do it? This is a real-life question by the early church 2,000 years ago. And it's gone through every century. How do we live for Christ in a broken world? And this, I believe, is the answer that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. It's on the screen. Maybe you have it in your lap because you've had 20 minutes to turn there now. But Romans 6, 1 says this. Paul says to this church, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? <laughs> okay, what's the context of this? And we'll get to the answer he gives here. What's the context? Paul in Romans has just taken the first five chapters and talked about how beautiful our salvation is. That we've gone from children of darkness and now we're children of light. The word that Paul uses is the word justification. That means we've been declared righteous. In the first five chapters, he proves that everybody is in need of that justification. And now by God's grace, those who put their faith in Christ have received this justification. Now, starting in verse 6, he talks about the fact that there's a sanctification. There's grace in real life. And he asks this question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that this amazing grace may abound and be, be, be able to look highlighted? What's his answer? By no means. <laughs> There's certain phrases in the Greek language that are like, you can circle, you can highlight, you can underline, you can bold them. That's one of them. In the Greek language, it's basically saying, don't ever, 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 ever say it that way. No. Some of your translations will actually say, God forbid it. And what's Paul saying? Should we live like the world that we may let grace abound every day? And watch how beautiful this is. He says, don't ever say that. Don't ever do that. What's the other part of this, though? He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? You've been saved, and why do you live this way if you've been saved? Do you not know that all, who, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So what's the illustration he gives? It's of baptism. It's of identification with Christ. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might what? Walk in a new life. This is what grace teaches us every day. Grace teaches us that we don't embrace the sins that disobey God, the rebellion of the world. We love the people in the world. We share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We interact with those who are unredeemed. That is our call as, as followers of Jesus. We do what Jesus did. However, 
the sins of the world that are clearly spoken of in the scriptures, these are things that we do not embrace. We, we do not live this way. There's a lot more that could be said about this, but what I want us to do, go back to this key idea and just saturate our, our thinking today in this. Through the realities of this broken world, God's grace keeps us going. It keeps us going every day. God's grace not only completely changes our standing with God at salvation, but it also powerfully changes our perspective. It powerfully gives us support every day of our journey till the end. I love this. God's grace saves us from the penalty of sin, but it doesn't stop there. Going back there to our thinking. A lot of times we think God's grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, and we stop at that phrase. That's a great phrase. God's grace did save a wretch like me. I'm a messed up guy, and God saved my soul. But it reaches beyond that. Not only does it save us from the penalty of sin, but daily it's saving us from something else. The power of sin. The power of sin in our lives right now, it has saved us from this grip, from this enticement. God's grace is saving us. It is rescuing us right now from the power of sin. And someday, you've heard this before, God's grace has saved us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. Someday, brothers and sisters in Jesus, we will be completely saved. God's grace will put, completely rescue us from the very presence of sin. And we're going to see all of that in these passages today. God's grace keeps us going. How, let's unpack that a little bit more. How does that happen? I'm so, oh, thank you, Pastor Andrew. You're standing up there just giving us an encouraging speech today that God's grace will keep us going. What, but how? How's that going to happen in real life? All of those atrocities you talked about, evidences of a wicked world we live in. How am I supposed to get up and live for Jesus? Well, can I, can I propose a couple ideas here from the scriptures? Here's one of them. God's grace compels us to cherish our secure relationship. This is all the way through the scriptures. Especially in the New Testament, we find this, that we... We find the exhortation to this broken world that we, in this broken world, we are to consistently, constantly remember. Don't forget who you are. I mean, if you want to summarize what the New Testament is, all the epistle is this. Act like who you have become. Act like who you are. God has saved your souls, now act like it. That's what the scripture, that, that's the New Testament. And God's grace allows us to do that. But as we're waking up in this broken world, we're constantly to think back to the fact that, oh my goodness, this is, this is amazing what Jesus has done for my soul. So let's take a couple minutes and remind ourselves of that. Looking at this passage, I'm going to put it up there. Ephesians 1, 3. And this is what we're supposed to remember. Paul, to this church in Ephesus, takes six chapters. If you divide them in half, you can do the first three chapters. Basically, he's, he's promoting this rich theology. And now the second half of the book, he's promoting how this theology should look in real life. So what does he do in the first chapter? Here's what he does. He says, let me tell you something amazing that happened to you in Jesus Christ. Can we just read it? He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, rich terminology here. I'm going to just... I'm going to go down to the end, verse 4. I love verses 3, 
4 and 5, talking about how God has chosen us. We have been elected by God's grace. Verse 5 says this, in love, tag the first two words, last two words of verse 4 to the first phrase in verse 5. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, and here's what it is, to the praise of his glorious what? Grace. He's done something for us by his grace. Then we keep reading. That which he has blessed us in the beloved, that's Jesus. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. Here's another beautiful word. So we've underlined the word adoption, we've underlined the word redemption. In this broken world, we're constantly to go back to the fact that we have been adopted and we have been redeemed. Listen to the rest of verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? The riches of his grace. It's almost like you can insert, and, I, and I, you know, we're not going to add things to the scriptures, but in our minds we can think, it's almost as Paul is like, like he's saying, and don't you ever forget it. <laughs> You've been adopted. You have been redeemed. And you have been forgiven. Let's think about those just a little bit. Loving adoption, what is this? You've been adopted into the family of God through faith, we have been chosen to be part of God's family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, guess what? You're in the family of God. Jesus Christ has chosen you. You have been adopted. This comes with all the legal rights of a natural blood-born son, a natural blood-born child. We, who once were enemies of God, have now been adopted into the family of God. This is beautiful. The point is this. When we get up in the morning, and we turn on the news or whatever we do, and we just see broken, 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 broken. You know what the point of scriptures is? We open our Bibles and we see adopted, adopted, adopted. What's going to keep me going today? I'm his child. Here's something else that's going to keep us going during the day, is remembering that we're redeemed. We've talked of this before. Redemption means that you've been bought from the slave market of Satan. <laughs> At a despicable picture in our minds of this bruised and beaten person. This person has hardly any worth in their life in, in, in a physical sense. In, fa in fact, people see them and they're like, ah. That's kind of one of those despicable parts of this broken world. And you know what Jesus says? I want that person. In fact, I'm going to pay the highest price for that person. This passage says he paid with his own blood to redeem us. We are lovingly adopted. We've been sacrificially redeemed. And then the part of this that just blows my mind, another aspect of this is we've been forgiven. I mean, we, we make our kids tell each other they're forgiven after they ask, you know, tell each other sorry. And there's this kind of like this, you know what it's like, this superficially, I forgive you. <laughs> okay, we can't, in, we can't imp input our context of life into this because this is a massive forgiveness. We're talking about past, present, and future forgiveness. That's what this scripture is talking about. Through Jesus we have been completely forgiven. 
When we come to him in faith, he is taking it. And the concept here is you've been freed from a debt. You've been pardoned. So here's what the scripture is constantly telling us. What is grace constantly telling you? When we wake up, we turn on the news, we go to our cars, we listen to the radio, it's like, oh my goodness, all of that's happening. Here's what we remind ourselves, that God in all his grace and goodness has redeemed us. He's adopted us and he's forgiven us. This is what's to compel the next step in our life through the day. It's an internal remembrance. Let's go on to another aspect of this. Actually, can't go on until we read the last part of Ephesians 1. I'm going to read this because what seals the deal? You cannot go through Ephesians 1 without reading this. Okay, in this broken world, what seals the deal with the forgiveness, the redemption, and the adoption? Here it is in verses 13 and 14. Can you read with me? I'll just read. You can follow along. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, we're talking about the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, Guess what? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee? Some of your translations will actually say, who is the down payment that the purchase has happened and it will go through to the end? He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire, uh, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, what's the fact here? When we get up in the morning, we remind ourselves we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven, and what seals the deal is the indwelling Holy Spirit that will never leave us comfortless. The Holy Spirit that Jesus promised in John 14 through 16 that said he'll come and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you, this Holy Spirit. Let's look at another aspect of this. You hanging with me here? What does God's grace do to encourage us in a broken world? First of all, it compels us to remember (laughs) we've been changed. Here's what else God's grace does. It provides us with guidance for present stability. Not only do we remember something amazing happened, but now in the present, it gives us footing. So we wake up, we remember what God did for us in the past, but we also advance. That's the beauty of God's grace. We take another step, and this step is is stable. How does the scripture talk of that? Well, if you would go in our thinking, let's go to Titus 2, 11 through 14. This is a verse that probably a lot of you memorized when you were little ones. If you were in the Iwana program, I guarantee you memorized this verse. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, How does God present stability in this life? It is by grace. What does Titus 2, 11 through 14 say? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Verse 12, in your Bibles you can circle, you can highlight whatever you want to do, but here's two words, training us. <laughs> training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is written by Paul to a young man in the faith, one of his sons in the faith, so Timothy and Titus. Titus is on an island called Crete, and he's receiving these words because there's other older people in the ministry to Titus that are kind of trying to disarm his theology. And what does Paul say to Titus? He says, Titus, God's grace is enough to save you, but God's grace is enough to teach you. What are you going to teach to your congregation, Titus? 
you're going to teach God's grace. And what is God's grace going to do? It's going to teach you to deny ungodliness, to deny worldly passions, and to live a certain way. That's what God's grace does for us every day. Have you ever thought about that? There's a word here, training us. All right, just, just curious. How many of you in this room, at some point in your life, uh, coached a ball team? Would you raise your hand? Some are coaching now. All right, I, a good group here have been coaches or teachers in a class of some sort. I want to tell you, that's what this is talking about. There's coaching that happens. There's instructions that happens. And who's the coach? God through his grace. What's the coach? God's grace. God's grace is instructing us. God's grace is bringing us along. And what does God's grace do for us? Here's what it does for us. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You know what God's grace is constantly doing to us in our lives? When something comes into our day that doesn't meet with the standard of the scriptures, the clear imperatives of the scripture, you know what God's grace says? Say no to that. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit of God is taking the grace of Jesus Christ and saying, you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, so don't do that. That's what a coach does. Stay away from that side of the field. Man, would you stop breaking the rules? That's what a coach does all the time. God's grace is coaching us to say no when we need to say no. What do we say no to? Ungodliness. This is basically godless perspectives that lead to godless actions from a world around us that is constantly trying to say, take God out of the equation. You know what grace is saying? No, put God back in the equation. You have no stability if it were not for God's grace. And God's grace is the coach telling us, deny ungodliness and worldly passions. These are desires that are rooted in the world's godless ways. Desires that well up even in believers. These lustful passions that the grace of God is telling us, don't you do that. What else does this passage say? God's grace not only trains us to say no. You know what God's grace does for us today? It trains us to say yes. <laughs> Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly loves and to live self-controlled, righteous or upright and godly lives in the present age right now. Self-controlled means not this flippant, do-whatever-feels-right type attitude. Self-controlled says we, we, we gauge what we do according to what God tells us to do. To do. The coach is God's grace, and God's grace is saying, say no to this, but you know what? Say yes to a life of serious obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what God's grace is doing for us today. A lot more can be said about this, but I want to keep working through this. I'm just highlighting different aspects of this grace in the present. So when you get up in the morning, we realize what God's done for us, and now we take steps in the present. And here's what it does for us in the present. God's grace encourages us and compels us to grow. <laughs> to grow. Uh, we could go to any number of passages. I highlighted some from Peter because I love the story of Peter as we already talked about. We can't help ourselves from returning to the life of Peter here. Peter, who kind of lived on the spiritual roller coaster that we talked about, he was encouraged to take one step in front of another. The irony of Peter, follow me, means that he has to take one step after another. 
And so he uses terminology of grow in his epistles. 2 Peter 3.18 says this, but grow in what? Grace. Grace isn't something that just happens when you're saved. You now grow in this grace. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Okay, so Peter clearly is talking about growing by God's grace. If you think you're back in your minds to 1 Peter, the first epistle he writes, I love this because in chapter 2, verse 2, he says this, as newborn babes desire the sincere, the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Okay, there's some blessed angels from God that are with our children over in that nursery right now. (laughs) Watching these children, I'm going to tell you, pretty soon they're going to want to be fed. And they're not the kind that are so discreet in that day, like, uh, can, can someone take care of me? There's children that God's blessed with a healthy set of lungs. And they're letting you know. They're ready to eat. I'm going to tell you, this passage where Peter, Peter talks to these believers that are scattered all abroad, that are struggling through suffering, you know what Peter says? What's going to get you through? What's going to get you through today and tomorrow and the next day? It is God's word. In fact, that little word desire. I'm going to try something. I'm enjoying this. Oh, missed it. There it is right there. Desire. That word right there. You know what that word is? It's not descriptive. It's an imperative. So in our minds, we think, as a newborn babe, I should desire the sincere milk of the word that I might grow. You know what the passage is? As that newborn babe over there, you desire it. It's an imperative. It's a command. You better do it because that you have to have it. When we look at this passage, we realize what Peter is saying is this. Grow. And how you're going to grow is through the word of God. If you go to 2 Peter chapter 1, we won't do that now. I include it on your handout. 2 Peter 1 tells us to diligently add to our faith. I love the terminology here. If you want homework, 2 Peter 1 would be a great way, uh, place to go this week for homework. 2 Peter 1 says, by diligence, supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, temp, and you just go right through that. But we grow. What's the stabilizing factor in our lives? God's called us to grow today. Okay, here's another one. God's grace provides us with guidance for present stability, and here's what God's grace does for me today, for you today gives me the grace to communicate kindness to others. (laughs) What? What's the natural inclination of our hearts all the way through the day? Okay, I know there's some special saints in this room that don't say a single negative thing in a single negative way to anybody all through your day. All two of you in this room that are like that, praise God. But I'm going to tell you, the rest of us who struggle every day with responses, with words of our mouth, coming from meditations of our hearts, but words of our mouth that glorify God. What's going to guard the words of our mouth? Well, I love what Paul says to the church of Ephesus, another church that's just surrounded by moral depravity. And what does Paul says? Say, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give what to those who hear? Grace. 
You know what grace does? God, through his grace, gives us the ability to control what we say during the day. (laughs) To not fly off the handle at our little one that just tracked mud all the way through the house. Well, or into the car. (laughs) Or wherever it may be. That that co-worker at work that did something again for the 30th time this month. I told you I didn't like that. You know what grace does? It gives us the opportunity to show patience and kindness, to build up. In the body of Christ, you know what the temptation is? To speak ugly. You know what God's grace says? Speak in kindness. We're going to keep moving through this. Here's another aspect of this. What does God's grace do to provide present stability? We're going to get up in the morning, tomorrow morning. You're going to remember how amazing God's grace is that he brought you into a relationship with him. Then we're going to realize that every step through the day, God's given us stability. To talk right, to act right, to live right. Here's another one. To humbly trust God through suffering that you go through. One of the main points in scriptures is that God is not going to always eliminate you, extract you from the suffering but that he is going to walk with you through the suffering. That's exactly what Peter says. Here we are again with what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. Uh, if you could follow along. By the way, how many cannot see this? Is it too small? A couple honest ones? <laughs> Probably most of us cannot see this one. All right, unless this really fits your prescription, just take him off. Uh, we're working on it. This is a matter of great discussion and angst. We're trying to figure out that item right there. But at any rate... Here's what 1 Peter 5 says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, not just a couple of you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. (laughs) Why? And then he quotes here, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Remember that God's grace is sufficient for all, but God's grace is seen specifically to those who humble themselves. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Remember this verse you probably memorized when you were a little critter? Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. What about this? Verses 8 and 9 talk about there's one that doesn't want you to participate in God's grace and who's that? A roaring lion who doesn't want to just give you a bad day. He wants to destroy you. But in verse 10 it says through this suffering... God's grace is going to be highlighted. Verse 10 says, After you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will himself restore you. He will confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What's the point? God's grace is going to guide each of us through the suffering that we're going through right now. It teaches us to constantly trust God. I can't stand up here and lie and say, I know what you're all going through. Some of the suffering in our hearts is so deep right now that as soon as you even think of it, tears come to your eyes and that knot comes to your stomach. You you think about the struggles you're going through right now, and I don't know what it is, but I do know this, that there's a God of all grace who's going to walk with you through this. And as you make it through this, he's going to establish you, strengthen, and settle you by his grace. That is the stability we have in the present. So when we wake up in the morning in this broken world, we realize that God's grace reminds us that we've been adopted, we've been forgiven, 
God, is, God has redeemed us. Then, and as we take steps all the way through our day, we're living by God's grace. But I want to bring out another aspect of this grace, and that's found back in Titus. So we've already been in Titus. I want us to go back there quickly as we wrap this up. God's grace offers us comfort through a future hope. I absolutely love this. Because it's not just about the past, what God's done. It's not just about the present, what he's doing. Guess what grace does for us? It teaches us something else. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then we go through this grace, what it teaches us, what the coach does for us. And then listen to what verse 13 says. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawless, lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What's Paul saying here to T Titus? He's saying you have a hope. <laughs> through the struggles of this world, through the brokenness of the world around us, all of the headlines in the news, all of the depravity of the world we live in, God's grace is holding us. But you know what God's grace is doing? It's constantly reminding us a better day is coming. <coughs> the God who is going to fix it all, the consummation of all things, when Jesus wins, that's the last book of our Bible, when Jesus wins, this grace is coming. And you know how Paul describes it? We've talked of this in the past especially over Resurrection Day, it is a blessed hope. Remember, this concept of hope is not a wishful thinking. As we've talked about, it's not, I wish this guy will wrap up in the next three minutes. <laughs> you know, I hope I don't get in a car wreck on the way home. I hope I don't have a flat tire. I hope my kids behave this week in school. That's wishful thinking, especially the kids behaving thing. But anyway, this is not wishful thinking. It's a confident expectation that this will happen. You know what the grace of God does? It reminds us that there's hope. That our lives are not so saturated in the suffering that, that we can't realize that there's something better that's going to happen at the end. God is going to set it all straight. He's going to fix it all. When we struggle through the brokenness of this messed up world, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, God's grace compels us to cherish our secure relationship. God's grace provides us with guidance for present stability. And God's grace, the beauty of God's grace, comforts us to this future hope that something better is coming. So what? So what? We took our Sunday morning... We came to Cross Point Community Church. We heard the word of God preached. So what? How's that going to make you walk out these doors any different? Well, if I can propose a couple questions, starting with this one. Have you been rescued by God's grace? Paul says this to Titus that we just read. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Have you embraced the saving grace of Jesus Christ? What's the only way you can do that? Ephesians, Paul says, for by grace are you saved through what? Faith. It is realizing that you, no matter how much good you do, 
You cannot earn this grace. No matter how much good you do, you still have not dealt with the sin problem. The only way the sin problem is dealt with is what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. And he took your burden. He took your rebellion on his shoulders. He was crucified to pay for our debt. And through his stripes, we are healed, the scripture says. Have you ever come to Jesus in faith? Let me, add, let me just challenge you with this. <coughs> if you've never done so, guess what? This is a great day. <laughs> Behold, today is the day of salvation. Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? I'd love to talk with you more after this. There's any number of people in this congregation who would love to talk to you about that. Come and see me in the back. Think about it. Let's talk about it. Let's pray through this. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the only one that can save your souls. But here's another question for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Here it is. This week, are you trusting in God's secure grace? In other words, are you obediently resting in the fact that you are a child of God? This week, you're taking another step and another step and another step of stability. Banking on the fact that you've been adopted, you've been redeemed, and you've been forgiven. Brothers and sisters in Christ, will you this week trust in God's grace for stability? One last question that we'll go to this morning is this. Are you obediently and humbly leaning on God's grace to keep you going? We're always looking on, we're always thinking about what's going to, what can we lean on to keep us going? question is this, will you lean on God's grace to keep you going? You know what God's grace is going to do for you this week? I'm praying that to this end, I'm praying that God's grace for this body will teach us to say no to the things we should say no to and to say yes to the things we should say yes to. God's grace is going to train us that way as a coach. Through the realities of this broken world, God's grace keeps us going. I love hunting. I'll close out with this. I love hunting, and I found myself on several, several cold, dark evenings out by myself in mountain lion country, <laughs> walking around with my, with my bow, got my sidearm, but if they hit you, you're not going to know it, these mountain lions. I'm out there hiking, and you know what I do? I'm constantly looking at my GPS. <laughs> my GPS is telling me which best way to go is the crow flies go that way. In the dark, you can't see much, and you find yourself in all the midst of this, these thorns and all these trees and this, this brush, and you can hardly make your way through, but I'm doing what the GPS is telling me to do. And you finally make your way back to the car, and you're all scraped up, and you're like, man, at least the mountain lion didn't get me. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, there's a, there's a certain security in having that GPS, but I'm going to tell you what the security is. When I've got one of my best friend guides that's walking with me, and he's going around the corner saying, hey, Andrew, don't go that way. GPS is telling you to go that way. But you're going to avoid a cliff, and you're going to avoid all that mass of scrub, up, scrub oak. Go this way. And I go with him, and I walk this way. I'm going to tell you what God's grace is for you this week, what God's grace is for me, is that guide that's been there. God's grace is our guide and our guard in this broken world. So God, we thank you for that. We thank you for your amazing grace. And no way do we deserve this grace, but in every way you've showered us with this grace. Oh God, I pray that this week, as members of the body of Crosspoint Community Church, 
we would take those steps of growth. We would realize how amazing your grace is and that your grace is keeping us. It's guarding and it's guiding us. 